We are live. Awesome. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, creatures of the night, we are back here again. My name is Moon, but or my name is Chris, but you can call me Moon, and I have two very special guests with me tonight. Um, these two folks have been huge supporters of me since the very beginning of my uh, YouTube horror journey, and I wanted to invite them on because they have some interesting opinions <laughs> about this movie. So before we begin, let's go ahead and... The following program contains coarse language, a lot like real life. Viewer discretion is advised. Alright, so there's our warning out of the way, and I want to... Replay. want to give a shout out to Hobbs Horror for uh, commenting on the replay of last week's stream. Thanks, Hobbs, for your support. Alright guys, so Friday the 13th, 1980. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the classic question mark. Okay, so I guess we better just, just tackle this elephant in the room right here, this big giant pink elephant. Okay, there are some good things what about this movie. Betsy Palmer. Betsy Palmer. Oh, oh, there is one other thing going on. There is one other thing that's really awesome and it's huge. It's like probably even bigger than Betsy Palmer. It is Ke Kevin Bacon's huge penis. There is a shot and I don't know how I missed it, but we were He is very well endowed in this Oh film. my God, that bacon is just, that was a one little piggy. It's sizzling. <laughs> it's sizzling, yeah. It's, 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 it's I never, it's weird I never noticed it considering how much focus it gets on the camera. Yeah, but. so for, for, for my positives, it's Kevin Bacon's Bacon and Betsy Palmer, who, fun fact, and I'm sure you know this, Moon, she pretty much did this so she could get a car. Yep. To make, yeah. Yeah, she, um, the last interview with her I saw uh, was just like a year or two before she passed, and she said that, um, they had offered the script to a whole bunch of people from her generation, and she looked at it and she thought, uh, there's no way. And she was driving home like two days later, and her car blew up. Um, the, uh, or she blew the engine up in it anyway. The car itself didn't blow up. But, um, so she contacted them and said, look, I need $1,000 or something like that for me and buy me this car and she told him exactly what she wanted and they said done wow. and she said really <laughs> they said yeah she said well at least the script's a piece of shit nobody will ever see it so it won't matter Words <laughs> it, it took her a long time to come around to the fact that that people loved the movie and loved her yeah I know she did sort of embrace it toward the end. Though. Yeah, well, she's she actually really kind of sweet to see, like, her kind of show it, doing that and just embracing, like, you know what, sure, I think it's a piece of shit, but cool you guys like it and like me for it. And money. And money. Yeah, a lot of people, um, or she said a lot of people, when she started doing the convention circuits and stuff, would come up to her and, you know, tell her about their struggles raising kids and... Um, and how the how how much she may have been a psychopath, but she loved her kids 
or loved her kids so much that she would go to that kind of an extreme and um oh I think you froze up okay, okay. but you know that telling her telling her uh, how much they loved the fact that she was that dedicated as a mother yeah oh that is like a beautiful thing it is kind of fun because like mrs Voorhees, oh like all the sort of nitpicks and issues i do have with this film pamela is the really interesting part and there's a lot to analyze and talk about with her character i actually do really there's one saving grace for this film all jokes aside i do feel like it is betsy palma and the character of pamela i like the idea there is some kind of questionable executions of like how can this like kind of like woman in her in her like mid-50s, like, shove a spear through an entire bed and the human neck and stuff that you can poke out. But, like, for, uh, for what it is, I still feel like they actually have a really good idea with her. I like her. She's a very sympathetic character in a way. Like, yeah, she's yeah. around killing people who had nothing to do with it, but it's a psychosis for her. She lost it, and she lost everything mentally after um, she lost Jason, and she's just been kind of crackers ever since. Yeah, and, and yeah, it, we kind of started that up again. It definitely escalated it. And one thing I like about Betsy Palmer and her performance is it hints like you. She when she's given the backstory, she's like you know she was making dinner and she was making meals for the camp, and she doesn't have a husband. She you know she has a special needs child, and it's back in a time where you had even less options, even had money when she did it and so she had to basically to pay the bills and take care of her kid her kid had to be kind of put in a questionable situation and stuff with these uh, little snot-nosed teenage horny teenagers so that she has a lot of guilt what this is basically implying is she has so much guilt yeah and i really love that's pretty deep like as for as for as paper thin as some of the script is this is the, the part that actually has a lot of stuff that you want absolutely so um, yeah, I, I agree. I really like her. My only one, my only kill that I can't, through my own, um, uh, headcanon, kind of justify is the spear th from under the bed. Yeah, I that, don't know how she does it. Well, I think it's supposed to be just an arrow, but when they yeah. show the, um, up close on it, that's a that's a really thick you know arrow so uh she's just it, it is a little odd that she was like able to just like and how did she get like enough force to drive it through with how close to the floor she was like yeah the bunker had to something maybe sure but the fact that she's right up against the floor and just kind of like and I don't know, sometimes I've been super angry where I just where I just watch it and you can have a lot of force. And, yeah. and she's doing it one-handed because she's holding down the bacon with the other hand, so she's doing it one-handed. Yeah, that's the and leverage on it. One-hand, though, guys. Women are great with just one hand. Give us one hand and we can do <laughs> the first anyway go of the night. <laughs> But no, I think if you are in that kind of rage, you'd be surprised. Never, I suppose. I just feel like the logistics are not thought out. But it's a cool and it's very much probably the most iconic kill of the film. So it definitely paid off. Yeah, and there, there's a... Um, I can't remember who told it if it was, if it was Savini or his assistant was, was talking about it, but um, the blood that they used for that scene was a little bit thicker than what it normally is. It had sat uncovered 
So when they hit the pump, the um, syringe for it to pump it up the straw, it jammed. It was too thick to go through. So he just unplugged it from the the big turkey baster sized syringe and blew through it. That's why you get that little slow drip at the beginning and then the, then the squirt and then it kind of puddles. And I, I can't remember if it was Tasso or if it was Savini who was who was under the bed and was talking about it. I think his his effects in this one are are really solid. <clears throat> Sorry, um, but um, I think that that some of his other works are are more uh, are more intense than this one. But I I like the the simplicity of of this one. I think it it has has a charm to it that some of his more over-the-top, more gory stuff um, has later on. I get that. There is, there is sometimes less is more. Yeah. And this movie certainly shows that. This one, it's in, the, in a way, like, it's a lot, he had a little bit less money to work with, and he was a little bit more green around the gills when doing it, as opposed to uh, some of his later films, like, he compared this, like, even when he came back to the franchise, the final chapter, like, the, you can see definitely the evolution in his style, but there's still a lot of charm to these that I can definitely see being more memorable as opposed to like some of the more high-profile effects he had done. Oh, I only say sometimes. Now, sometimes it won't, it'll, it'll hinder and hurt you, but if you have those talented people, I think sometimes it can be a blessing that you're boxed in with either financial constraints or other constraints because you really do have to think outside the box, and he does that. Yeah. And I think it's actually all, and you, but you really have to still have a lot of passion oh, for yeah. <clears throat> uh, yeah, he, uh, I, I really like his effects in this one. Um, now, here's one that I know that we kind of disagree on, um, and that is the cast and yeah. the characters. Um, my thing yeah. with the characters is that in this one, at least they feel more real um, in a lot of ways. Um, these are, these are, and Ned is annoying, yes. but I, but I know someone who's fairly similar to that. And I, I know people who were, or have known, you know, over the years, people who were similar in personality to the other people, to the would-be counselors. Um, and I like the fact that, that in a, it kind of goes the, the good girl uh, Halloween trope with uh, Alice, but not exactly because if you pay attention, um, she's participating in the strip monopoly. She's smoking weed while she's doing it. They're drinking beer while doing it. Um, she's obviously been sleeping with Steve, um, or at least it comes that way. Co comes off that way to me. I've heard other. I've heard other people say that that. It was she wasn't sleeping with him, and he wanted her to. But yeah. for me, I don't read it that way. You're not going. 
it just just the way that they give that dialogue. Yeah, I, I also kind of read them as like having at least like hooked up once. They may not have been like together or not. They at least hooked up at some at some point. I feel there's a bit of a password to do with them. I feel I can see how you guys are thinking of that, and that's probably more what they were going for. But I kind of could you could take that one scene where they're talking outside the cabin and she's kind of threatening to leave. Mm-hmm. I, you could wonder that he made a really strong pass at her and she was like, "Whoa, dude!" Whoa, yeah, yeah. If you could you could take it that way. Now I'm not saying you guys are wrong, yeah. but you I kind of take it more that way because it's just that. the Good girl, girl, but maybe I might see that. But Moon is right. Like I do, and even I'm involved in doing this a few times. Like chopping Alice into the likes of like the more like stereotypical Final Girls we would see in Slasher Films to Come that were very, very heavily influenced from the likes of um, Laurie Strode, as opposed to like Sally Hardenstein or like the Black Christmas Girls. Were like, yeah, they were they were a little bit more puritanical than say, than say some of the other characters in the movie, but they still were like. Sex, very sex positive people and very and like did drugs and everything. Whereas uh, Alice is kind of a nice middle ground before. She dresses a little bit more modestly, is a little bit less overt in her sexuality, but she's still like yeah, like we said, she'll still play a game of strip monopoly, however the fuck that works, and she will like smoke weed and drink and all that stuff too. And she doesn't give moral objections to the Yeah, absolutely. She's not like a Laurie Strode type where she's a little bit like goody goody puritanical. I get that. I get that. She. I don't have a pro- too much of a problem with Alice. It's I like Alice. She's the other. Alice is my favorite of the counselors. Yeah. Yeah. I get that. What about? Well, I like. I can't say that because Kevin Bacon and his big bacon. I like Kevin Bacon, but I think it's just because. Oh, hey, it's Kevin, Kevin Bacon. It is. It's Kevin Bacon. Yeah. I feel like he's a good example of Adam. Because he's not particularly memorable. If we're being he's fair. just kind of. He's one of the guys. He has a girlfriend. They have sex a lot. He's not. There's not much else to him other than the fact that he's played by Kevin Bacon. Yeah, I'm Kevin Bacon. Yeah. Crazy Ralph, almost. I do like Crazy Ralph. I yes. Quite <laughs> um, But it's always weird to me rewatching this film after it's been a while. I always think there's way more Ralph in the movie than there actually is because he's really only in the film two for two scenes. Yeah, but they're good. They're, they're good memorable scenes, but I forget. I always think he's in more of the movie. Yeah, that, and that's kind of one of my issues is that. Yeah, I wish he was in it a little more. I, I can see. Would you, would you prefer if maybe they lumped in like some of the stuff they do with him in part two into this film? Yeah, I do. I would be because we watched this movie and we kind of forget like there isn't until we really get to the Betsy Palmer stuff. There's not a lot of story, and I'm not being a dick when I say that. No, no hate to anyone who loves this film, but there's really not that much story until we get to Betsy Palmer. It's a lot of like what would become the standard of slasher films. Big, grandiose kill. <clears throat> yeah, for about 15 minutes. Another kill, grid recycle, climax of the movie. It's very what would become the standard. But for the time, considering how early in the genre this was, yeah, I think I, it's, it's a little basic comparing it to stuff that would come after, but looking at the stuff it was contemporary with, it's not as... That is like some of the weaker slash straight to video slashes of the 80s, I feel. There's these egregious of those problems. That's true. It's just my issue is that so many people, you know, really talk up about them about part one, and I think they're just, in this franchise, there's better, there's way better movies. Mm-hmm. And, and no hate, again, no hate, but that's just my own personal opinion. Oh, like I said, I, I see that there are some um, serious issues with, with this. There's, you know, Unless you really, if you just sit and watch it on its surface level, 
there are plot holes big enough to drive a truck through. Yeah. If if you yeah. dig deeper into some possibilities and some fan theories, including a couple of my own, it some of those close up, but it's still, you know, it, it's it's still a product of its era, and it's my favorite. Um, but I understand that it's problematic, and also my love for it is nostalgia because I was. Uh, eight or nine or so the first time that I saw it it was one of the very first horror movies that that I saw that can be classified as true as truly a horror movie now I, I was born in the early 70s so I grew up with Jaws Close Encounters um, the Spielberg stuff like that um of course, um, you know, the other 70s stuff, the car that was on TV, you know, that kind of thing. So, I, I had that before it, but, and then actually I, I saw uh, Friday the 13th as a double feature with a uh, another movie. Um, watched both of them together one night. Uh, was staying at my grandmother's house and they had... Um, I want to say Showtime, but it may have been HBO. I can't remember. Um, at home, uh, we only had three channels. But if it, at my grandmother's house, they had 28 or 30, something like that. And one of them was was that. And I watched um, Death Race 2000 and then the cable TV premiere of um, Friday the 13th. That is a really good double feature. It's a really interesting double feature looking back yeah. at it. <laughs> so, it. It does. I liked it. And, um, and to this day, I, I absolutely adore both movies. Yeah. I can totally see that. And, like, I definitely, like, we were talking about this a little bit back then. I also, while this isn't a movie I have a whole lot of love for, I can totally acknowledge and see where you're coming from because I have tons of movies like that, like, Everyone I will vehemently defend the original Trevor's for being a legitimate good movie. There are loads of problems with those with the other three original sequels, though. And, but but I have a lot of fondness and and memories associated with watching those as a kid. Like I watch them all the time. If I play them out, I always made a thing out of it. So I can go. I have I have, I have those movies equally amount of like even though like yeah they're not the greatest, but like. Will I still say that Tremors Team Aftershocks is one of the greatest sequels of all time? Absolutely. And I'm sure you have some movies like that as well. Summer Party Massacre too. Yeah. And that, that that has a lot of narrative issues, yeah. but I fucking love that. <laughs> we have these fond memories we can't yeah. separate from the of Yeah, and that's what makes movies so magical is it captures a time and a place. How old were you when you first saw the original Friday? I Oh, this wasn't your first one. Uh, no, this wasn't my first one. I, I I saw them out of order. I think I was about nine or ten-ish when I saw the USA Network uh, played these a lot, and Ruby Movies and Up All Night did it, and I know I probably saw it there, because I didn't get to see The one I got to see in the theater was part six. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, I got to see that one in the theater, but... <laughs> no, I didn't! No, I didn't, because I'm not that old! <laughs> I think weirdly my first one was part three, just randomly being played on AMC during Beer Fest one year. I think I started with part three. That's a strange It's a really weird one to start with, yeah. Uh, three is so bland. 
it, it's yeah. so dead center, middle of the road. The characters are are okay. There's nothing wrong with them, but they're forgettable. The kills, except for the handstand, are okay, but kind of forgettable. Yeah. The final girl I, is okay, but kind of forgettable. You know that's you're, you're, I, think, I think you just hit the nail on the head. The reading is kind of how I feel for as for how you feel about this film. Like it's good. There's some cool kills. Kevin Bacon getting speared is great and stuff. And I love the final conflict. Alice is a solid final girl. But but like the characters are fine. But besides the fact that one of them is played by baby Kevin Bacon, they never stand out. And I think that's kind of insufferable. But. I do feel like that's kind of exactly how I feel about this movie. It's fine, but for me, a lot of it does come down to being a little bit forgettable, honestly. See, I, I feel like maybe if I had watched this one before I watched any of the others, I might feel more similar to you, movie. See, I don't have that problem, like guys, because I got it. My favorite in the franchise is a cool movie that nobody can dispute. Mine is part seven. Ah, the classic. <laughs> so see, no issues there. <laughs> Straight you off. Jason versus Bargain Bin Gary is a fucking classic. <coughs> I won't care when I will go to the map with this. I, I'll defend part seven, but I don't know if I go that far. It is. It's awesome. The purpose. The purpose. The, the first two acts of Part 7, I kind of zone out for. The final fight, okay, that one, that that is up there. It's up there with this one, honestly, for for the final confrontation. Yeah, yeah. I would agree. Yeah, probably, yeah. Seven, seven, six, and this one probably not my favorite final confrontation, honestly. And fuck you all, I love Roy Burns. I don't care. I don't you just care. had to get that one in there. Yeah, I do. I like <laughs> I do too. It's actually like fourth on my list, or fifth, somewhere in that neighborhood. So yeah. And I love the kid. Just forget it, Rick. Just forget it. <laughs> I, I love the scene here, and it's nothing but it's graphic, but it isn't because you hear him screaming, and then you see those white crisp sheets, and you know someone's just throwing red paint on these sheets. Oh, but it's really, so fucking cool. Really cool. That's all right. That's all right. We got plenty of time. Um, now one of the characters in it, or actually two characters in it, in in this one, that I genuinely like, and don't get enough credit for. They're they're not the most memorable, but they're they're very real to me. Um, and that's both of the girls. Um. Mm -hmm. I'm not a fan of the Annie character, however. Really? I'm, I'm really not. It's... He's kind of nothing. I can see that. I, I suppose so. She doesn't bother me, but I can kind of see where you're coming it's from. It's kind of the, the, the conversation that she has in the vehicles is, is what bugs me about Annie. When she's in the truck with Enos, and that's, a, that's another character like Crazy Ralph that I genuinely love in this movie, is the truck driver. Yeah. Um... But when she's in there with him, she's talking, you know, just all the, the different things on it. And then when she gets in the Jeep, which, you know, we find out, spoiler alert, is Mrs. Voorhees and not um, Steve Christie. She's talking about, I hate when they call them kids. It sounds like they're a bunch of goats. They're not, you know, she goes from being this 
average person to all of a sudden this dippy hippie dialogue. Yeah, you're not, I know I never noticed it, but yeah, that's actually a really good point. She does kind of suddenly change her, change how she acts. Like, I guess you could argue maybe because she was interacting with a guy in the first time, and then in the other one she's interacting with an older woman, so maybe? But it's still, that's a loose argument, I acknowledge. Yeah. Quickly, she jumps out of the. That's the feeling that I've always gotten with it. That's one of the reasons that when when people talk about this one being, you know, calling it a carbon copy of Halloween, it's like, oh. no, wait, there's there's a whole lot of psycho in this one. You know, you yeah. have the, the girl who's introduced who looks like she's going to be the final girl. Um, you got that little sweetness to her when she walks up to the dog outside and and then you kill her off in 20 minutes and then of course at the end of it it's mommy issues as the yeah yeah there is a lot of parallels to psycho yeah instead of a son because of the, the, the relationship with his dead mother it's a mother because of her relationship with her dead son yeah you're right actually i never yeah i never thought about it i always just thought about it again yeah there is a lot of psycho in this movie today there is a lot of psycho also i love this is maybe anything psycho but i do love how we get the reveal of her body in the jeep later on towards the very end now she's running into it. i love that. i just love that i like how she's all bloodied up and kind of starting to decompose a Bit. A little bit, and she's like, she's a little bit waterlogged because of how much rain they've been getting and stuff. Yeah, I, I just like that. Yeah, yeah I like that bit too because it means that Mrs. Voice has been driving around for the last two days with with a dead body sitting up in the front seat. That's yeah. a vibe. <laughs> I feel like at some point she put sunglasses or something. <laughs> like, I kind of always have to say, Ken, and she talks to her the whole time. Like, normal, like, that's that's interesting. Yeah, that's how I feel like how she was talking to Alice before crazy stuff. It's really kind of interesting to see, like, a little, like, like an actual, like, a little short film, like, Mrs. Warr, he's, like, off, when she's off screen, like, setting up the traps and stuff. That would be kind of interesting. Yeah, is she crazy or is she Mrs. Warr? That's a kind of little short film to see. Yeah, actually. It'd be something for Womp Stomp to do. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They. Um, but the other two girls that are in the movie, I really like both of them. They both have a. Um, they both seem to be fun people and have good personalities. Um, you don't get a whole lot out of. Um, Crap, I can't remember her name. The one that's with Kevin Bacon. I don't remember her name oh, either. She, I just referred to, just her to her as Kevin Bacon's girlfriend. Yeah. But you do get the scene in the bathroom where she's doing the impression, and, you know, and of course her kill is the axe to the head. Yeah. It's not bad. It's a pretty, it's a pretty fun kill. It is, it's, it's not a bad kill. She kind of is a character, you know, the fact that none of us can remember her name. She, is a, she might be the most, one of the more egregious cases of she's there for the body count yeah. a little bit. Which, yeah. I don't think is bad. No, that's not a bad thing inherently. As long as you have, I, as long as you have, 
at least one or two really good, interesting characters. They don't even necessarily have to be the final girl or anything. Um, but just having a couple interesting characters sprinkled out in your slasher film, I'm totally fine with just having a couple nothing characters or characters that just rely on like one personality trait just for a particular lot of body count. That's totally fine as long as you have at least one or two interesting ones. Yeah. And that's where I was kind of going with the um, with the other one, who's Marcy, who, by the way, fuck cancer. Uh, yeah. She was actually quite a good actress. I, I really liked her in this. I really thought she did a good job. I really kind of... I know it was 1980, but dear God, the nightgown that they gave that poor girl. Um, it looked like something that they stole off of Grandma. Um, no, I'm, I'm guessing, and I wasn't there, and I, but I wasn't looking. Like, I can't, I can't speak for it, but, like, I guess. Like, we had, you know, like, little girls had pretty much the same thing. We were always going around dressing like it's little house on the prairie. Kind of, except, unless you had four parents like mine that would have, like, the matching nightgown for the doll. They had, like, that, that was a big Christmas. That was a big thing. But, yeah, then you think about it. Even then, though, we did, yeah. Yeah, she was a little bit more, like, frumpy, ye olden times looking, even for that. Yeah, and she was just running around in nothing that scene is the fact that they actually killed it. That's yeah. yeah, we did the kind of cannibal holocaust route. Yeah, it's low budget filmmaking, but I still feel like you could have asked Tom Sabini to throw up a little bit of extra latex and make one over lunch or something. Yeah. But, um, I mean, I, I like um, I like the way that, that uh, they call to, to, to Marcy and she goes out you know, looking for the for she hears the child's voice she goes out, she actually is enough of a person not to just ignore it and go looking for this lost child. Yeah. Um, and of course, you know, it is an off-screen kill with the arrow, but it's... It, it's okay. It's not bad. It's not you know, bad. And, like, they do create a lot of atmosphere because you can see, I mean, it's poor in range. Poor She's getting range. drenched. Like you said, like you said, a lot of the, child, the distant child screaming somewhere, but you can't exactly hear and that really, it is, like, I'm sure guys would feel it too, but like as a woman, it's just something built into most of us where you're like, yeah, yeah, you want to, you, you hear something, you're going to go and try to figure out what the fuck. Yeah, you, you hear a child's voice going, help me, you know. I, I think a lot, I think the guys would have probably been more like, is that real, is that just the wind, is that something making noise? 
It's cold and wet out there. <laughs> yeah. Eat my kids! Yeah, exactly. That works. You know, I mean, it sucks for the kid, but this is really not my problem. I'm not on duty. <laughs> I'm, I'm not getting paid for this. Yeah, I'm not getting paid. I'm not getting paid to yeah. take yeah. kids for two weeks, so I can't. Back to game. Yeah. I mean, it, it's... It's awesome. It's both... I always find it so weird. I'm like, why... Monopolies. One of those real eccentricities that we have. Like, could have just easily done strip punk or punk, and it would have made more sense. But I respect the fact that like, no, people are a little different out of the box. Literally. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm. 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 I have never looked, but I'm sure that there are. If you search the internet, there are the rules for it. But. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, what? <laughs> 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 but you know it, it's it's one of those things that it's a movie that I love and I know people are going to give me shit for it because I got I, I got thumbs down for the uh, last video because I talked crap about Halloween so ta talking yeah, bad about that one good about this one I'm sure I'm going to get at least one or two out of it but everybody has their own opinions on stuff and I fully acknowledge that, you know, it's nostalgia for me on this one. I, I was a much, much later um, getting to Halloween. So, this this one is just my thing. This one is, out of the big four, this one is, is my number two uh, behind TCM. Uh, and I, I love the, the way that they do the atmosphere in it. I I like the slow burn in this one. It's not normally my thing, but again, it's probably nostalgia more than anything else. I don't think there was a, a need to watch her make coffee, um, no. and, and Ralph hiding in the and Ralph hiding in the closet. You know. Uh, I always find it funny, like how did he get there so quickly on the bike and stuff? I always find I find because it he was a messenger of God, so you're gonna well, if God tells you to do something. Yeah, or is it secretly like the remake and there's tunnels in Mount Crystal Lake and Ralph's the only person who knows about them or something to get Possibly. around, like something like that? The only legitimate criticism I would say for this movie is like I do feel like there are a few instances of. Happy, you Because, you know, budget constraints meant that they only had enough money for one Jeep. So, so story-wise, you have Mrs. Voorhees and Steve who have the exact same Jeep. In the exact same color, you know. 
Um, so it's it set up as, as the red herring. You're supposed to think, you know, you know, Steve left and then all of this stuff started. It's got to be him. Yeah. And then of course you then you show him at the diner and one of the things that that cracks me up and I didn't notice it until a few years ago was the when the deputy picks up or the sheriff I guess I'm not sure picks up picks up Steve and is driving him back. He mentions that Crazy Ralph's wife is worried about him. He's been out all day. Yeah. Crazy Ralph is married. <laughs> That's a, I always recognize the fact that that scene, I'm like, yeah, she does mention she's well. But yeah, you're right. Crazy Ralph is married. <laughs> That's what I want. Like, why, we could have him. Why don't we have a scene of, like, in one of the sequels after Ralph died or something, get her go crazy because Ralph got killed. So she's set out to, like, warn people of the dangers of Ken Crystal Lake and stuff. That could have been kind of an interesting thing for, like, part three or something. I feel like it would have been working I don't know why that would work. What she's um she's the she's she's like the crazy mountain lady in part two. Yeah, which I love that fucking crazy. What is it, Junior? Junior. Ethel and Junior in in five. Yeah, love them. Are you saying that Junior secretly like Ralph Junior? You tell him, Ma. Okay. Why not? Why do you make that? Those that secretly crazy Ralph's wife and Junior is Ralph Jr. I think you can do some stuff. Okay, sure. I can. Yeah. He, he's a little, he's a little old, but you know, hey, he, love is love, right? Well, <laughs> <laughs> That's what I tell Marty. <laughs> <sighs> the um, the climax of this one. It. It's another one of those cases where they were trying so hard to make it real that that there's a whole lot of that fight scene sequence that is padding and is God, I just want somebody to do something. <laughs> you brought that up when we were watching it because when she, when when Alice is piling up the door, yeah, like right before I love the bit where right before Alice, right before Mrs. Voorhees is proper introduction, Alice is like barricading door. She like ties the rope around it, and then she just starts piling more and more chairs on it. And we see her do this whole thing, and then as soon as she sees the jeep outside, she just rips all this stuff off, making that entire like thirty seconds completely pointless. Why? Why? Why'd you do that? You could just easily have her tie the rope around the door and move on with the movie. But no, we're gonna have her pile like six chairs there too. Well, where's Mrs. Voorhees is stalking her across the kitchen and she throws the box of Kleenex and, and the uh, baking soda and it's like, you know, grab something with a little bit of weight to it. That, that is not going to do anything. Uh. And you're throwing boxes, remember? It was, it's kind of a recreation of, we're going to be the POV angle. I always assumed it was like a recreation of like the opening, the very opening uh, kill scene. But it is a bit weird because you throw the uh, the candles and stuff. Like at least they were throwing like boxes. At least like they were in like an attic where there wasn't a lot of stuff. Like she could have grabbed like some cans of like food or something and just heated it in her own lady hand. Or, that's something you could have done something there, Alice. 
I always forget about that entire sequence scene, like the pantry and the kitchen. I always forget about it whenever I watch this movie. It always kind of like, oh, right, there's more to this thing. I always, like, kind of Mandela effect of, like, okay, you have the initial scene of, like, her, like, Miss Voorhees reveal, kill her mommy, kill her. Alice hits her with the poker, and then Miss Voorhees chases her down to the lake. I always forget about the bit of the pantry. Yeah. Well, it wasn't executed perfectly. I think it does set a template for other movies to come oh, and do it really well. Very bad. much so. Is it a slight retread of like the closet scene in the original Halloween? Sure. A little bit, but else? I like the fact it's a bigger, like the closet in the Halloween. Space. Yeah, there's something that's actually more scary than mm. in the claustrophobic. You think it'd be the claustrophobic, but I actually like that it's kind of big. She has enough room to move around, but there's still nowhere to escape to. Yeah, yeah. There's a, there, but like I, I really do feel it's like a template. Mm. One problem with the closet scene that I have is the foley on it. When she hits her in the head with the pan, that is straight out of the Three Stooges. Boom! It just kills any atmosphere in that one for me. It just cracks me up every time. And It didn't the first times when I was much younger, but it's one of those things that that was one of the very early ones issues that I had with with it is that completely destroys that and unfortunately it sets a tone well you wouldn't have the endings that you have but it does set a tone for they're down you've got a weapon you drop the weapon and run yeah Yeah. that that is my biggest pet peeve in any horror movie slashes or especially movies of that like you have the killer or like the person stalking you dead to rights, they're like knocked out on the floor or something, their head's completely vulnerable, and, and you don't just think, I'm going to step on them a lot, or like crush their windpipe or something, like stab them in there, and like, like at least go and cut their Achilles tendon so they can't chase you or something. Like that's one of the things when um, we were watching uh, get, Jordan Hill get out, I was so ecstatic when they actually do do that at one point in the movie, of like him stomping the dude and he's killing so he doesn't have to do it anymore. It's like, finally, somebody else actually thought of this. They, they do it in your next, too. Yeah. Hey, dude, you're right. She hits it. She hits it. The one time she stops, she looks at him. She kind of drops the bat down, or the um, sledgehammer axe thing, whatever it was. I think it was the sledgehammer. Um, and then she picks it back up and says, about four more times, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and it's right. I, you're right. I kind of like there for a while. Yeah, you're right. They do that. But it's something that should be done more. It should be done way more frequently. Like at least. I can give it a pass in the original Halloween at least, because like, she stabbed him. Most people in this high stress situation, you stab a guy in the heart a couple times, you assume he's dead. Yeah. Um, like, maybe she should have gotten out, I maybe would have gotten out of the house instead of lilting in the door frame for a while, but she's in a high stress scenario, I can understand. But like, you just hit this old lady in the head with a frying pan. You hit her way harder with like the fire poker earlier and she's up and running. But see, yeah. She's not an old lady. She was like in her poor late forties. I know. I mean, she would have been. She would have been in her forties, like in real, in, in, in actual life. life. Like I feel like logistically, she would have had to. Uh, Pamela would have to be like at least in her mid fifties. Is that that old? Well, I mean, like she's still compared to like this fry young twenty year old and stuff. Like, I suppose it is a bit weird. Weird. 
I, su I suppose that a lot of people do bring up that about her throwing the body in, in the window. Oh yeah, where she just tosses her. I, I, I guess you could argue she like use the adrenaline. Use, use the, no, I can argue because the thing's up on a chain, so I always assume like she had it geared up on a tree, yeeted out the window, and just like the branch it was hanging on broke or something while she was falling. I kind of had kind of that instead of her just literally taking the body and just. Chucking it out the wind at the window, but maybe that's how it worked too. They met you. Who knows? It's yeah, that, That's one of those things that that I've got a couple of of theories on that one. That's one that I kind of go to is the uh, the block and chain or the block and, and pulley where she had them strung up outside. Um, so I, I, I th that one the old lady can can handle that one. And I say old, but yeah, she was probably in her early 50s, and that's, it, it feels old in the mornings, but it's not really that old. Um, but the one where, with um, the guy on the door, um, when Alice opens the door and, um, crap. I don't remember his name either. Uh, Bing Crosby's son. Um, yeah. I can remember his real name and, and who his dad is, but I can't remember that. Yeah, and I just walked. It's Kevin Bacon's situation. I cannot remember that character's name at all. And we just watched it. Yeah. <laughs> I watched it Monday when I got home. Monday morning when I got home from work. Um, but he's you know he's picked up and hung on the door. That one's a little bit harder for an old lady. Or for or for a middle-aged lady to do by herself, um, but there's also the thing that the body comes through the door. You hear the bang. That body's pinned to the or the body comes through the window, and then she opens it up, and that body's pinned to it. And then three minutes later, she drives up in the jeep. Yeah. So there there's there's that one, but there's also but my idea on that one is. I think that Jason was still alive and helping her. Okay. I think that in her mind, she was giving him <clears throat> she was giving him the the voice because he was um, unable to speak. So if if he's mute and she was already kind of loopy to begin with, she's now speaking for him. So. If she's been doing that for the last 20 years, she's still going to be that person <clears throat> standing there. Yeah. That's actually a really ingenious that's idea. Actually, and again, another parallel to Psycho. Yeah, you're right, actually. Yeah, yeah. that's actually not, not actually a pretty good idea. Yeah, because, like, you do find out, yeah, like, Jason, I guess, has just been living out in the woods for, for like, the last 20 oh. years. But that also kind of solved that thing. Like, she's, she's been taking, like, she's not, she's been, like, taking care of him and, and stuff, too. Like, I, I always thought, like, that she was living out there with him. Yeah, because in the second one, there's a pretty wide trail going down to that, and that that uh, the jeeps, and here I go with the car thing again, but um, that jeep is a CJ5, which means it has a really narrow wheelbase, um, um, like some of those modern compact cars. Um, it's got that kind of, of width to it. Um, 
So uh, getting down through those trees, she could easily have been living in that shack with him. That makes a lot of sense, especially for that's kind of how he could have survived in the woods in part two. Yeah, I've always given. I've never thought of it. I always thought just talked to like, oh, Jason, just been chilling out in the woods and somehow learning um, through the survival and foraging skills. But no, that actually makes a lot of sense that she's been out there kind of with them and like she uh, she thought he got killed the cockroach and kind of went into a bit of a psychosis and then found out he was alive again, but kind of just rolled with the, like, no, her boy's dead, but is she still angry over the camp at what she did? Yeah, that's actually a good idea. Yeah. Well, he's so, he's grown now, so her baby is gone. Right. The, there was an article a few years back, and it was, I read it because it was linked to um, something, and I think it was linked to Split uh, about people with with the fractured personalities, whatever whatever the current name for it is. Um, but it was a woman who had raised a child who was deaf. Um, and the child, as it grew, every time it would speak, it would sign. So, you know, the or it couldn't speak, it would sign. So the mother became, when it, of course, when the, it was little, she would speak in that child's voice to tell whoever what, what they were signing for. Mm -hmm. And as the child got older, she kept doing that. When it got to be 18, 19, whatever, and went away to college, well, empty nest syndrome, single mother, raising a child with with special needs she kind her her personality fractured and she would literally still talk as that child she literally saw her eight-year-old ten-year-old whatever you know was still at home with her while her other kid was off at college except it was the same kid and that always and that's one of those things that kind of put this theory in my head about what if she's taken on the personality of baby Jason and she's roommates and what it, possibly whatever else is screwed up as they are with with the adult version of it. She still sees him in her head and he still lives in her head as a personality. I hope they do something like this in the show. Yeah, yeah, that would be a really interesting direction to go with, like, the TV show that's supposed to come out sometime next year. That would actually be a really interesting idea to explore and would fix a lot of, like, continuity and plot holes that people have pointed out with the franchise over the years. That would actually fix a lot of problems. That makes a lot of sense. That's a really good theory. It is. Yeah, it's way too smart for them to do it on TV. Probably, <laughs> yes. <laughs> Sometimes they get it right. Well, sometimes, but yeah, probably it's just going to be but, the most basic, uh, basic standard kind yeah. of storyline. Is what I'm kind of predicting. But that would be a really interesting direction to see them going to if they do. Yeah. Yeah. That's just one of those things that this is. Like I said, I think it was split. It might have been something before that, but it was something where it was a fractured personality, and this was this was a real case. This is what you know really happened to this poor woman you know so it just kind of clicked in my head of what if that was what happened to her it makes sense it, it fixes like he said it fixes a lot of problems that people pointed out yeah. and it still uh, is true to the story it's a good theory yeah. 
I mean, they didn't know anything about that in 1980, in 1981. No. <laughs> but this is it, all retrospectively looking back and trying to fix these issues of movies written by people who are like, uh, sure, he's alive again, but he can't get her. Betsy Palmer's not coming back with her head off. Like, and Jason's alive now. Where was he? Living in the woods. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. Yeah. So you get to the end of this one, um, and you get to the decapitation. God, that looked so good back in its day. It did. And if you watch it in low resolution, it still looks damn good. It does. What? If you watch it in 4K, you can see the toothpicks and the hairy knuckles. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I this could, is the first time we watched it in good quality, isn't it? I, I, yeah, we watched my Blu-ray, uh, my Blu-ray set of it, and I pulled, and this is the first time in the a very long time where we were watching it, I was taking notes and stuff, and I was like, look, and I was like, wait a second, rewind that a second, look at those hands. <laughs> Betsy Palmer's hands magically grew like two sizes and got real hairy. Yep. Look a bit like Tom Sabine's <laughs> <laughs> I mean, for its for its day, you have to love that effect. Yeah, absolutely. And if I watch it like on my, I have two monitors on the computer, and I watch most of my stuff there. If I watch it on the little monitor, it's it still kind of holds up. If I watch it in 4K on the big monitor, not Probably. so much. <laughs> yeah, that's a, this, this is definitely kind of falls into, I feel like that way from a lot of, like, the early slasher movies and stuff. Halloween kind of is an exception to it, but, like, I feel like a lot of slasher movies of this era and a lot of, like, grindhouse films are kind of enhanced by watching them in, like, shittier quality. Like, I, I, I love watching, like, Chainsaw and, like, the greatest, like, 4K beautiful restoration stuff. But, God damn it, there's something really nice and fitting about watching that movie on, like, a beat-up, dirty VHS tape also. Yeah. There's a charm, and then like for me and Moon, it's nostalgia. Mm -hmm. Not so much for you, yeah, but yes, that's the aesthetic and the vibe that the movie's really going for. Like, well, sometimes it's nice to have these movies like restored in like the greatest quality they'll ever be. But there is also like something kind of nice to watching some of these movies in the quality that they were probably best intended for, in kind of shitty low res quality on the CRT. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Or projected on a, on a on a gigantic screen at a drive-in. Exactly. Oh, yeah. Yes. You yes. know, um, but I mean, you can't fault it. They did the best they could with the budget that they had and the technology of the day. Yeah. Um, it it it's one of those things that yeah, it takes me out of it a little bit, but it's okay because it's my movie. You know, it it's one of those things. But, I, I get that. And we all, like you said, we all have movies like that, and that's great to be celebrated and to hold dear. And don't, you know, don't, don't listen just because it's not everyone's jam. Absolutely. Lessen it being your jam. It also sometimes it, it kind of shows a mark of qualities, or at least something a reason to come back to kind of notice those little things like that in different qualities and stuff. Noticing little things like it's big reason why Evil Dead Two is one of my favorite movies. It's like I love re-watching that movie because I always notice something like kind of different every single time like I I remember being like watching it uh, like what for like the 15th or 16th time like noticing 
wait a second, you can see the rafters for the gymnasium they were filming in a lot of shots of that, uh, in a lot of scenes of that movie and stuff. So, like, that's, like, I love noticing little things. Is it, like, take out of the movie, maybe? Sure, but, like, it kind of also adds, like, it's cool to see those little touches and little things that you may have never noticed before. It kind of rewards movie unintentionally rewards you with rewatching it. Yeah, it really does. And like you've seen it all this time, so anything that brings it new kinda yeah. gives you a fresh perspective and experience to it. Absolutely. Yeah, that I don't really this is not in the movies of this era and movies that I've grown up with are not movies that I necessarily need to be heavily immersed in anymore. Yeah. yeah. I'm I'm watching them for the nostalgia, I'm watching them for you know, sometimes sometimes just sound in the background. Um, and this is a good this is for me a good movie for that. Um, I was editing um, something a while back, and it's like I turned it on on the other monitor, on the little monitor, so that I had some kind of noise going on um, while I was while I was messing around with stuff and um, doing the sound files and things like that because. I can completely tune it out to hear what I'm doing with the sounds, um, but I can also have it on as background noise. And for me, I know exactly what's going on by the sound cues. Um, yeah. And that, that's another thing with this movie is the score on it. Yes. I, I'm not normally one who pays much attention to that. I'm not normally one who pays a whole lot of attention to cinematography kind of thing. I, I, I'm much more here for the entertainment factor than to be impressed with that sort of stuff but I think and again somebody's gonna be pissed off at this but I think Harry Manfredini with the soundtrack and score to this one took John Carpenter's idea of the simplistic simple um, boiled down to the bare basics and took it up just enough that for me, it's an improvement on it. It really sets more of a tone. And if you slow it down in some of the slower scenes, it works as background music. If you pick it up in some of the stalking scenes, it works as as a stalking theme. Unlike Carpenter's, that kind of only works as a stalking theme for me. You are going to piss some people off with that. I'll piss them off even more. I agree. I have 100% agree with you, actually. I think overall the Manfredini score is, in a lot of ways, more interesting and kind of fits the movie way more than a lot of Carpenter's pieces for the original Halloween. Like, it works really great as, like, incidental talking themes and, like, background music or, like, a random disco remix or something for part three. Um, all of these can work. But it also has like a little bit of added layers to it. Like I'm sure anyone who's familiar with the movie knows this, but like Manfredini when he was doing it with like that little added, but purposely meant to be like, okay, like he's trying to add in like the killer bar, like that's like this is all stuff in Pamela's head, and she's that's her Jason's voice telling her to kill them and stuff. Like that little added thing gives it a lot more of a presence and kind of a personality, as weird as it's saying to say about a score, than something like Carpenter's score for the original Halloween, which is a very good and iconic score, but I do feel like it's it does sort of fade into the background and is best used for like stalking scenes and everywhere else. It does go a little bit out of place. But I've also always said the Halloween score is one of his Carpenter's weakest scores, so that that is another reason to be pissed off at me, but yeah. <laughs> 
I get that. I, I enjoy this score a lot. I do. I, I'm not going to go to y'all's level because mm -hmm. I, I, I'm more sensitive. I can't handle that kind of hate. You can't take the truth. I, I can't. But, but I, I appreciate both of them. I appreciate both of them. But I do think that this one is very under underrated. I'm underappreciated. Underappreciated. Yes. It's a very versatile, a very versatile score overall, I feel. I agree. And yeah, the disco remix is awesome, too. I love the disco remix. <laughs> I legit always have that on my Halloween playlist. I love, I love the disco remix from Part 3. It is a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, and and the later versions of it in the... Um, where it's kind of a bit more of a rock theme yeah. to yeah. it. It, it works that way too. The original is still always going to be my favorite, but you know you can use it again in other places and do different things with it. And I just can't see remixing the Halloween theme and it coming out. Me yeah. Either. Yeah, me either. Because like, and we even see that in like the Gordon Green Blumhouse trilogy, where like Carpenter kind of like tweaks it a little bit. But it still just sounds like the, the, uh, the Michael Myers stalking music from the, from the 1970s. Like, it's always, it always kind of, you never can escape that original thing. Whereas the Friday score has always been a little bit versatile. more versatile and can do a lot of different things. Well, look what Alice Cooper did with it. That too, yeah. Yeah. Very true. Plus, it inspired the one from Elm Street, and I think that <laughs> one's really good too. I absolutely agree with that one, yeah. I think that one's actually the creepiest of them. This is my favorite, but I think that that slightly um, mistuned piano and the intentionally off kilter notes is creep is the creepiest of them. I thought, yeah, the Elm Street one's my favorite. If we're talking just like the original iterations of these themes, I mean, Elm Street I feel have always been the strongest I get that. and creepiest. It is one of the more creepy ones. I don't know which one's mine. You never really thought, huh? I've never really thought, but I, I'm, I'm going to do some thinking. I, I, I the, When you guys are talking this, I'm hearing another Carpenter from Escape from New York. Yeah, That's you, probably one of my favorites. Yes. Yeah. Fucking love that one. Yeah. I agree. I love that one. You know Sean's yeah. crying right now? Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> like I said, I feel like Halloween might be the weakest John Carpenter score from this. Don't think we'll get dislikes. Fine, go dislike our channel. I, it's okay. That. It's it's interaction. It all works the same for me. Oh, you're right. <laughs> exactly. Y'all can give it every thumbs down you want to. Don't hurt my feelings. Yeah. Uh, it does surprise me. It, it actually surprises me because I get so little interaction in interaction anyway. But so when I do get one, it's like, well, what the hell? And then it's like, oh wait, I criticized Halloween. It almost that's <laughs> probably ninety nine percent of the time that's what it is. I know that's a, I know that's a couple of times we've done. It's like, what happened? All right, I made a joke at the Halloween end and we said it in a thousand expenses or something, right? Yeah. I know he's in the Halloween. It's just no, you I, gotta I play it up for jokes and stuff, but like, you like Halloween, totally cool. Like, like what you want to like, what you want to like. Like, you know, it doesn't matter to me as long as you're not being an asshole about it. Fucking right on. Yeah. I mean, I, I like, well, I like 1, 2, and 4, the um, but anyway, um, you get the ending of this one where, um, Alice has been attacked from all sides so much that she decides to 
paddle out to the middle of the lake in a canoe. <laughs> For some reason. You brought up an interesting thing. Like, this is what she does. This is her immediate response. She cuts <laughs> off um, so, uh, some psycho woman's head, and then she's immediately, like, to the canoe. And, oh, wait, the paddle got cut. <laughs> <laughs> like it's a bit weird. It's always weird and yeah, like I've all honestly always sort of wondered if like maybe as soon as she cuts off her head, Alice instantly like passes out from the shock of doing it and like that that's as that's when the dream sequence starts and the canoe thing was a part of the dream or something, but like it's a weird choice. It's a really weird choice. But it's good for what's about to come up. Yeah. Yep. The uh infamous Final scene, the jump. Well, not exactly final, but uh, the jump scare at the end. Yeah. Pure Carrie ripoff, but Pure. but honestly, I think it was done better. Me uh, too. That Loki always bugged me. The original Carrie, it always felt really cheap and weird. This one, it makes way more sense, honestly. I get that. I get that. Although it scared a lot of people. I yeah. know Stephen King tells a famous story of he was in behind. Yeah, no hate to people who are to the characters. It's a good thing. That's a good movie. But I always felt like it was a little jarring. That, like that's how we close that film out with like this with like a random cheap jump scare. This one, it makes more sense. It feels more appropriate because like Carrie. Not to decry this film at all, but Carrie always made you do the palm up. How he felt like it was trying to be a little bit more of like a highbrow film, whereas this one, yeah, is definitely a little bit more like this was a haunted house. This was a throwaway or a Halloween haunted house kind of attra attraction, whereas, Car whereas Carrie always had a little bit more of like a highbrow put on to it. You probably knew the palm was directing. Yeah, and I it feels a lot more appropriate. Like, yeah, of course we're gonna close out this like little haunted house uh, attraction with a big grand jump scare of someone popping out and getting you. Of course we're going to do that. It makes sense. I love that pop big out, though. It's great. Yep, and the, the stinger cue to the music is great for that one. It's, yes. This one does it... This It's funny to say this, but this one does it so well. And so many others, it's a simple thing to put an ending jump scare in. And so many others telegraph it mm -hmm. so bad that it's just like, you know, you're sitting there going, okay, mm -hmm. let's get this over with. Come on. You know, and this one, this one still gets people. Uh, I, wa I, watch, I watch quite a few reactor channels. <clears throat> um, and I love watching this one for that thing because, you know, if there's something in their hands thinking that it's over and we're down to the pretty music and, you know, you, how many things get thrown across people's rooms, how many people come out of their chairs, it, it, it's great to see that that is still getting people. Yeah. And it, it shows that, I mean, for all the shit we give it, it does say something testable to the film. Absolutely, absolutely. Like, all my issues aside with this film, I can still acknowledge, like, no, there's still a lot of great stuff in this film. Oh, yeah. It's very rough around the edges, and it's not a part of the franchise I really am ever actively wanting to revisit very frequently. But there is definitely one I have a lot of respect for, and I do have a lot of appreciation for it, like, I can definitely send to it. And for anyone like Moon or, like, say, Sean Erston, like, this is one of their favorite, if not their favorite entry in the franchise, I always can come to understand and see what people are going to see in it. I it might not necessarily be to my specific taste for the Friday franchise, but to totally, each their yeah, own. absolutely, to each their own, and I can totally see why someone this would be their favorite. Yeah, I agree. Alright, so I think that's kind of everything I had on this one. Is there something else you guys wanted to bring up? Good, you? 
Well, I just want to give one more shout out to Kevin Bacon's penis. Yeah, Kevin Bacon. <laughs> the, the, the sizzling bacon dog. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that makes you sense. You want some sausage with your bacon? It's a little too much beef, but you know. No, no, not for me. Yeah, there you go. There you go. <laughs> and don't forget I mean, it comes no. with a side of eggs. <laughs> they could fertilize them, you know. <laughs> All right, so I want to thank my guests tonight for joining me. I always love working with you guys. Um, so much fun. Um, for those listening on the podcast, uh, Jen and Christian have a channel on YouTube. It's called Jen's Reviews from the Grave. Um, and uh, won't you let everybody know what you're doing the next little bit? Uh, well, if, if you're listening to this right when it's dropping, uh, it's about to be, or it's just barely starting to be spooky season, and uh, that's a little time of year where we like to really go all out. So we are doing our annual 31 Days of Halloween, where we review 31 different horror films over 31, 31 days of October. Um, this year's theme is Grab Bag Year 2, because um, yeah, we had... We had a lot more elaborate plans for you to do like theme weeks and like cannibal films, killer kids films and all that kind of fun stuff. But uh, life this year really is not let that be a thing. We did not have time to. So we're just doing grab bag again. It's just a bunch of just 31 random movies that have no connecting thing other than we wanted to talk about them. Some of them are older movies. Some of them are going to be current. You just never know what's... We're like a box of chocolates. You ain't never know what's going yeah. yeah. so, to If you're interested in that or just our chaotic energy and antics, uh, check it out. Right. I talk a lot about penises. There's a lot of money <laughs> from this woman. Alright, thank you so much for joining me and thank you so much to everyone for listening in. Uh, so we're going to end the show here and as always, y'all be good, y'all be safe, and y'all have a good one. Bye guys. Cheers. <laughs>